this is Annie, and you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. All right, so Halloween is upon us, which means candy, jack-o'-lanterns, and costumes. And unfortunately offensive costumes. This is something that comes up every year, and with all of the news around U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren's DNA test showing she had a Native American ancestor somewhere along the line, and the problematic news coverage around that, another related news item, Megyn Kelly's comments on the NBC Today show suggesting blackface is acceptable on Halloween. Her comments were swiftly and pretty much universally condemned, and her show was canceled. So we present to you this handy guide, What Not to Wear on Halloween. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And this kicks off one of two Halloween-themed episodes that we're doing this year. And in this installment, we're going to talk about costumes, but we're not going to talk about sexy costumes. No, we're going to talk about racist costumes, people. Yeah, which sometimes take a turn for the sexy and racist costume. Yeah, if you can get both of those in one, you've... (laughs) become a terrible Halloween costume stereotype. Yes. And this is a listener request that came from Facebook, and it got a lot of likes. So we said, hey, let's talk about this costume issue. Because, Caroline, I remember distinctly when I was in college. It was Halloween, and you know everybody was out. And I saw a guy dressed up as a member of the Taliban, Hmm. and he was in brown face, and it was appalling. I mean, like, obviously he was trying to make a terrible 9-11 joke and being horribly racist about it, and that was my first direct experience with the racist Halloween costume. Hmm. No, I'm, I'm usually, myself, I'm usually some sort of female cartoon character. I've I've been uh, April O'Neil, and I've been Leela from Futurama. But no, I can't say I've ever uh, been something like a member of a particular culture. That's a really good thing because it happens a lot. And it's become this issue where it's almost the annual conversation of Halloween goes either the route of why are women's costumes so super duper sexy or... What's up with all of these racially insensitive and flat-out racist and cultural appropriationing costumes going on? Yeah, and I mean, I think it's good that we're talking about this because it seems like the overwhelming response anytime you see anything online or hear about it on the radio or anywhere, people's overwhelming response tends to be, oh, get over yourselves. Right. Why why are you so politically correct? Come on, like my family didn't own slaves. I mean, it's like this, this whole very expected predictable argument that people make for being able to wear very culturally insensitive costumes. Right. As though Halloween is some special day where not only do children get candy, but adults can get a free pass for uh, wearing blackface if they're uh, white. Um, So 
In case you were wondering some examples of costumes that are not okay, the uh, the blogs The Root and Color Lines did a large roundup. And this first one I actually saw a couple weeks ago when I was shopping for a costume for a Stuff Mom Never Told You video. It's the Ghetto Fab wig, the oversized afro. And I was it stopped me in my tracks when I was shopping because not only is it called the Ghetto Fab wig, mm-hmm. but it was also a white woman mm-hmm. modeling it. Yeah, I when I was uh when I saw that online that picture of that uh that wig, I don't understand why they couldn't why do they have to call it ghetto fabulous? You know, like part of the issue is the naming and a lot of people point this out in some of these blogs where it's like, okay, so you have um a a wig, a head of hair that is like more traditionally African American, but you're naming it something like ghetto fabulous tacking the fabulous on is supposed to make it okay or what exactly um well speaking of the the hair issue there are also gangsta braids which look like coolio on the cover of that album they do from a long time ago <laughs> they do um and then there's the one that i have not seen before but it's called big kahuna fat tribal tiki warrior which might sound hilarious but yet again no you're putting on the costume of a samoan man Right, yeah, and then uh, you have one that is terrible, and I've seen several, inexplicably several iterations of this, which is the illegal alien commentary on immigration, uh, and usually it's like an a literal like alien, like from outer space face with either a mustache or one particularly horrendous one had a like prison uniform. An orange prison uniform. Yeah, similarly to that, you have the Hey Amigo, where it's just the typical sombrero, poncho, oversized mustache getup. And then there are chop suey glasses, which are glasses that you can wear that have eyes already in them that are slanted, unlike yours. Oh, wait, what are you doing? Right. And then, of course, the Japanese geisha which uh, is chock full of meaning that we will talk about as we go on, but just the whole, as we will talk about also, the appropriation of other people's cultures, shrinking them down into something kind of cheap and tawdry for one night of entertainment and drinking, and then you get to go back to being your privileged self yeah. the next day. Exactly. Um, so, Caroline, you mentioned how a lot of times when this conversation of racial and cultural appropriation in Halloween costumes comes up. The typical refrain from white people, we have to just say flat out, because that's who it's coming from a lot of times, is you are being way too politically incorrect. Can it just stop at some point? Can we just have one night? I mean, it's not like I own slaves, okay? Yeah, and and those arguments are are kind of ridiculous when you, I mean— Let's just take a moment. You mentioned the whole argument of I didn't own slaves or my family didn't do that or whatever. Like, let's just think back a minute through our nation's history and the fact that a lot of people seem to just want to forget what happened in this country with slavery. And so when you fast forward to Halloween 2013 and people wanting to uh, adopt costumes that mock African-Americans or just Africans, um, it's, it's not okay. And your, your joke that you're trying to make is not funny. 
Yeah, Leslie Picka, who's the associate professor of sociology at the University of Dayton in Ohio, told The Root that when it comes to just wanting to make those jokes, hey, we're just kidding around about some stereotypes, she says it's especially insidious because it shuts down future conversations about the real, very unfunny issues. Because, oh, you're just making a joke out of it. Right, and so it, it puts the blame on the person who's offended instead of the person who's doing the offended. And so, you know, if I, if you're, if you're wearing a costume or, or doing anything or saying something that I find offensive, suddenly I'm the bad guy because I'm offended because you're saying something about me or my culture or my background or whatever. Um, and that does, like, like uh, Pika says, it does shut down the conversation because it's like, well, if you're just going to make me feel bad, doubly bad, then I don't even want to have this conversation with you. Yeah. And in the process of that, there's this factor of normalizing whiteness that uh, scholars talk about in terms of how those racial and ethnic lampooning costumes only reinforce inaccurate ideas about totally distinct racial and cultural communities because you are boiling down mm -hmm. all of the different variations or different ethnicities, different languages, different traditions into one hilariously stereotypical costume. Yeah, and you're just pretending that real people are fictional characters. I mean, it's one thing to dress up like a person, like a politician, like uh, a character out of stories or mythology. It's another thing to dress up as Mexican guy or geisha girl, things like that, because then you are, you're taking, you know, a whole entire culture with all of its facets and varied elements and you're reducing it to like I said, something kind of cheap and tawdry. And speaking of cheap and tawdry, I hate that we even have to address the fact that blackface still happens routinely in Halloween costumes. And it please, I really hope that there isn't a listener out there who thinks that, oh, maybe, maybe is that okay? Is that just, I mean, come on. That's okay, right? No, we've all seen that Designing Women episode, right? <laughs> Which one? Or is that just me? The Designing Women episode where they want to, I don't know if it's a charity function, but the girls want to perform at a, at a charity event maybe, and they're going to perform as the Supremes. Well, so they decide to just dress up in the fancy glittery gowns with feather boas or whatever, but Delta Burke's character gets it into her head that she is going to wear blackface, and they won't let her on stage because Because ridiculous. that's horrible. Because that's ridiculous. Yeah, David Leonard, who's the associate professor and chair of the Department of Critical Culture, Gender and Race Studies at Washington State University, said that blackface is, quote, a part of history of demonization, othering, denying humanity, and imagining blackness through racist caricatures. Just just say no, people. Yeah, and you're not, by, by dressing up in this way, you're really not honoring Anyone, you're not celebrating a culture. You are failing at being ironic. Like none of this, none of this is a joke. But what if someone says, well, hey, listen, my, my black friends don't mind. My Indian friends don't mind. My Asian friends, you know, there are people who say that mm -hmm. too. Of like, eh, they, they're not uncomfortable. But you are still dressing up as that character or that person or that cultural stereotype from a position of privilege, a different position, a position of other. And so 
from that position, you are still able to offend a whole lot of people just because your friend, your black friend or your Asian friend or whoever says that they're not bothered by it doesn't mean that a whole host of others are not. Well, it's kind of like in the same way that wearing those costumes collapses an entire ethnicity into that one stereotype, relying on maybe that one friend opinion. Mm -hmm sort of does the same thing of collapsing it all into one person. Well, but it's also convenience. I think it's laziness. I think you know when you say, oh, my one black friend is okay with me wearing blackface. I think you know that that's sort of a lazy excuse and a lazy way to, you know, be able to wear this dumb costume that you're committed to wearing for some reason. Yeah, I liked how Leonard said that, (laughs) listen, we aren't living in some sort of post-racial by referendum society. Because the fact of the matter is, while jokes are great, humor is fantastic, racism is obviously still alive and well when you look at things like the criminal justice gap, poverty and education gaps, stop and frisk policies, controversy over voter ID laws. There's a lot of stuff that has been in the news this past year, yeah, that's clear evidence that we are not living in some post-racial utopia. Yeah. It would be great if we were, but we aren't. Yeah, we're not, and people are still being judged for the way they look. I mean, a friend of mine was just telling me that his son walked up to the teacher to turn in an assignment early in high school, and the teacher looks at him and is like, oh, well, you don't look like the type to turn in an assignment early. Yes, and my friend and his son are African Americans. So I, we're we're definitely not in any sort of safe post-racial zone. No. And if you if you want evidence to of that, Cheska Lee is a, a prominent YouTube vlogger and she did a video on costume fails mm-hmm. about this kind of uh, racial and cultural appropriation in costumes. And if you just go on that video and read through the comment section. Actually, just don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Never read the comments. If you have blood pressure issues, don't read the comments. But the evidence is right there Mm -hmm. in the anger that people have of just watching this one video of, of someone saying intelligently, hey, I would really appreciate it if you didn't wear blackface this year. And in addition to, for instance, Cheska Lee's video, there are other people who are starting awareness campaigns about this kind of stuff too, including a group of students at Ohio University. Yeah, their their group is called Students Teaching Against Racism in Society, or STARS, and they launched a campaign a few years back called We're a Culture, Not a Costume. You've probably seen these posters uh, around, floating around the internet. You've also probably seen the really jerky uh, meme versions making fun of them. But basically, it's uh, pictures of kids... Um, from different ethnicities holding pictures or next to pictures of people in costume imitating their ethnicity. So there's an Asian girl next to someone dressed up as a geisha, you know, or there is an African-American girl uh, next to a picture of someone in blackface. Yeah, and when I first saw these a couple weeks ago, and they're really powerful Mm -hmm. because it does put what we're talking to in to visual perspective, but yet again, if you want evidence that there is still a problem, that this is a valid point for us to talk about, are the those meme responses that blew up mm-hmm. 
in these kids' faces where you have uh, a mocking thing of a picture of a dog next to a costume of a person dressed up like a dog. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And uh, writer Whitney over at Autostraddle talks about this. Uh, she is Asian, and she was sort of taken aback, you could say, by the response that these kids got for their campaign. And she discusses uh, what we mentioned earlier, which is that, you know, the problem with these racial stereotypes is that you, uh, from a position of privilege and other, get to take the costume off. And you're not worried so much about, you know, stereotypes, getting frisked for no reason, things like that. But people who are minorities, ethnic minorities, cannot do that. And so she says that the resonance of everything from a geisha to a terrorist stereotype persists long after the end of October. Basically saying, and the, the kids who, who started this, uh, this poster campaign were kind of saying the same thing, which is that every time images like this are perpetuated, you know, people in cartoony geisha costumes, people in blackface, it perpetuates the day-to-day stereotypes, too, that actual humans have to live with. Right. And the fact of the matter, too, is I think you mentioned the word laziness earlier. It's like uh, saying these kinds of things is not an attempt to take the fun out of Halloween. Halloween is so much fun. Halloween is one of my favorite holidays, even though I usually leave my costumes until the last minute. And I end up looking like a hot mess. (laughs) Um, But that's part of the fun of it. And part of the fun of it, too is trying to be creative yeah. because there are so many options out there. Like why you would feel so compelled to have to dress up as a Pocahontas-like princess in a buckskin costume you got at Halloween Express. No, you don't. No, you don't have to. Well, I mean, exactly. But speaking of the Pocahontas princess, I mean, that things like that, costumes like that are a huge huge market the the sexy lady costumes you know everything from the sexy cheeseburger to the sexy nurse but you also have the double terrible of playing off of racial and ethnic stereotypes in addition to sexualizing yourself and sexualizing that entire ethnic group um the geisha again is a perfect example Uh, the Indian princess. And one of these blogs points out the fact that when you dress up like an Indian princess or a sexy Eskimo, you're ignoring the facts of sexual abuse that Native women in America face. One in three are raped. And 70% of the sexual violence against Native American women is by non-Native men. So the more you perpetuate these, not only sexy stereotypes, but the stereotypes of submissiveness and, you know, constant sexual availability, you are not helping matters. Yeah. I mean, it's that whole factor of fetishizing the other, the mm-hmm. exotic. Of, right. Oh, look at these, these otherworldly creatures where they just turn in so quickly to objects that you can pursue at your leisure, which is, which is not right. Um, but moving away from Halloween a little bit, we've used the term appropriation a number of times already. What are we really talking about, though, nuts and bolts wise, when we're talking about appropriation? Because this is not just something that happens in the Halloween costumes that we might choose to wear. Well, yeah. And we will talk about what appropriation means on a bigger scale right when we get back from a quick break. 
now back to the podcast where we're talking about cultural appropriation beyond Halloween costumes. Right. So let's look uh, look at the definition from Fordham University law professor Susan Scafidi, who uh, wrote the book, Who Owns Culture, Appropriation and Authenticity in American Law? She says that uh, while it is very complicated and complex, it's basically taking intellectual property, traditional knowledge, cultural expression, or artifacts from someone else's culture without permission. This can include the unauthorized use of another culture's dance, dress, music, language, folklore, cuisine, traditional medicine, religious symbols, etc. And she says it's most likely to be harmful when the source community is a minority group that has been oppressed or exploited in other ways, or when the object of appropriation is particularly sensitive, such as sacred objects. And so I know that she and therefore I just listed a lot of things and you're like, well, what does that mean? I can't make spaghetti because that's Italian food, right? Or I can't eat sushi. Calm down. A lot of this has to do, a lot of this discussion about cultural appropriation and appropriating other people's beliefs, way of dressing, religious items, all this stuff. It's about respect and it's about the way that you obtain these things and about the way you use them exactly and joking examples like eating spaghetti eating sushi i mean that those are forms of a globalization and also you could interpret it as well as a form of appreciating uh, the products of other cultures right like one of the bloggers uh, that we were reading posted about how she likes dream catchers native american dream catchers and she's fretting because she's like, well, here I am preaching against cultural appropriation, but am I appropriating them? And she talked to some sociologists. She talked to some actual members of the Native American community. And they, they hammered home that whole idea of how are you using it? Is it in a respectful way? Do you understand when you purchase uh, a Native made item from a Native American individual? Do you understand the culture behind it? Do you respect it? Do you appreciate it? You know, it's it's not like it's different if you're urban outfitters and they're Navajo underwear. Exactly. And this comes up a lot in fashion and in trends and in how a company like an urban outfitters might pluck from a culture, from their handiwork, from their, their crafts that they have developed painstakingly, and then slap it on a T-shirt and sell it to a bunch of white kids for mm -hmm. way too much money. Right. But there's also a difference, too, between this appropriation and also mythology. And this is something that might be more tied to the Halloween aspect. Yeah. And, I mean, speaking of, I mean, white kids, I'm not, you know, we're not trying to make anybody feel bad about being white necessarily. It's just that white, quote unquote, white Caucasians, uh, we are the dominant culture here. White people, white Europeans came to this country. We colonized this country and pretty much forced our culture onto everyone else. So is it too much to ask for a little cultural sensitivity? Yeah, I mean, and, and also in the process, obviously, of colonizing this country, there was a bit of genocide involved in that. And in the words of my culture is not a trend tumbler, you can't appropriate the dominant, especially if it was forced upon you. The term just doesn't apply because of the power imbalance. Yeah, we, so that's an answer to, well, what about if you're appropriating my whiteness? Like, well, you know, maybe you shouldn't wear polo shirts. And it's like, all right, y'all. But there was um, one thing that came up in the discussion of Halloween costumes of the white trash 
stereotype, mm-hmm. which I say is also, no, no, don't do that. You're also, I mean, you're saying hideous statements about other people as well. Yeah. Who are of a different socioeconomic status as right. you. Or Southern, just Southern in general. Oh, I can't tell you how often. As someone who grew up in the South, lives in the South still, I'm commonly frustrated by portrayals of Southern people. It is frustrating to see often Hollywood portrayals of being Southern or Halloween portrayals of being Southern as being incredibly stereotypical, as if we're all just inbreeding Idiots, for yeah. lack of a better phrasing. Sure. Not not eloquent podcastors, as some of us are, you know. <laughs> but what are a few non-Halloween examples of appropriation? Just to, just to round out this podcast, Caroline. Yeah, well, I mean, we did dig up a lot of great examples of terrible stuff uh, when looking at uh, Native American cultural appropriation. One huge one that got a lot of attention and a really weak, pointless, stupid apology uh, was when Carly Kloss walked down the Victoria's Secret runway wearing a massive headdress. Yeah, over the Native Appropriations blog, Adrian Kay writes that playing Indian has a long history in the United States, all the way back to those original tea partiers in Boston, and in no way is it better than minstrel shows or dressing up in blackface. You're collapsing distinct cultures, and in doing so, you're asserting your power over them. It's that power issue over yeah. and over and over again. And laziness, too, because you're showing you don't care. Right. You're, you're wearing this headdress, which is traditional you know, regalia in various cultures that are foreign to you, and you're just showing that you don't really care about it. And then uh, Victoria's Secret was an offender yet again with its Go East lingerie line that it came out with, I think a couple years back. And it portrayed one uh, blonde, busty model in its geisha teddy, and she had a a little fan and Mm -hmm. everything as well. And it was quickly removed from the website because as soon as some Asian bloggers picked up on it, and expressed some outrage. Victoria's Secret yet again tried to cover up their trail. And I'm, I'm not anti-underwear. And someone else who was definitely not anti-underwear was one of the commenters under the story about this uh, Go East sexy geisha underwear. This guy was like, you know, all these people have been saying, oh, you're too politically correct. You know, get off of it. You're too sensitive. And this guy comes on and he's like, you think he's about to defend the blogger for, for thinking the costume's terrible. But instead, his comment is like, well, I, for one, when I see a geisha costume, fully expect to see an Asian woman. Come on. Who wants to see a blonde woman in a geisha costume? And you're like, oh, my brain, it is breaking. And it broke Nina Jacinto's brain over at Racialicious as well. She said that it's just another example of taking a culture and stripping it of its realness in order to fulfill fantasies of a safe and non-threatening mysterious East. 
And similarly to that point on Native appropriations about playing Indian and its long history, of another fashion blogger and Cornell University academic Minha Pham said that playing Oriental, in quotes, can be traced back to 1900s vaudeville stages where playing out fantasies of racial exoticism as a way of dealing with racial anxieties was a wildly popular cultural activity. And she also is one of those people who says, and also it's just a glaring example of laziness. Is this really what we're doing? You know, we have all of these resources, all of this creativity, all of these cool things that we could be doing. Are we really just going to harp on that? Yeah, I, I do think I do think it's a good point to bring up that it really is dealing with anxieties and making something that you don't know about completely one dimensional. Yeah, completely, not only taking away its otherness and installing this like exoticism onto it, but just not even trying. I I mean, correct me, listeners, if I'm wrong and you have done a lot of research about geisha culture or, or any other culture out there, but it does seem to be a lazy form of entertainment for uh, privileged people who think that because they are in a position of power and that we are in some sort of post-racial utopia that they can just dress up in blackface or a geisha costume and call it a day. And let me underscore the fact that we are not anti-sexy costume in this podcast. This has nothing to do with the amount of skin that you want to show on Halloween. If you want to be a sexy hamburger, you be that sexy hamburger. But rather, if you are thinking about pretending to be someone from another ethnicity, think twice. Please. Well, do you know what you're going to be for Halloween? I think I am going to be Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Ugh. Because I have everything I need for it. I think I am going to uh, be a silent movie star. Yeah, I really liked your idea for that. Yeah. And and you don't have to talk to anyone all night <laughs> if you don't want Just to. Just hold up cue cards that say, give me another vodka tonic. Exactly. And if you are looking for Halloween costumes, I am going to shamelessly plug the Stuff Mom Never Told You video, Five Feminist Halloween Costume Ideas. That does include my Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which you've seen the picture, Caroline. It's- Fantastic. It's pretty good, I gotta say. So you can head over to youtube.com slash stuff mom never told you and check that out. And we want to hear what you're going to be for Halloween as well and what you think about our conversation about racial appropriation and Halloween. And if you're listening to this after Halloween and you saw some horrible violations of everything we've been talking about, let it all out to us. Vent momstuff at discovery.com or you can also head over to Facebook or tweet us at momstuffpodcast. And we got a couple of letters to share with you when we come right back from a quick break. And now back to our letters. So I've got a letter here from Heather about our endometriosis podcast and she writes when I was 33 I began to experience intense pain during my menstrual cycle it was so bad that I would feel like I was being stabbed in either my lower back or my right lower front almost like appendicitis it would be so intense that I would get lightheaded and feel nauseous or vomit every single month but I always went in for my annual pap smears and pelvic exams and each one would come back with a clean bill of health 
Even though I was in my early 30s, not a teenager, my OBGYNs were women and I knew that there had to be more going on than just something I had to live with. I didn't push the subject because I figured that they were the doctors, they had the degrees, so they must know what they're talking about, and continued suffering for several years. Just before my 38th birthday, I experienced the worst pain I ever felt. The symptoms presented themselves like I had appendicitis and I ended up in the emergency room. Luckily, the doctor on call in the ER happened to not only be an OBGYN, but actually taught other doctors how to perform laparoscopic hysterectomies, which I eventually had to have done. Unfortunately, there were so many large cysts in both ovaries that she was unable to save either, and I have a son, so I wasn't concerned about not being able to have another child. I later found out that my mom suffered the same thing when she was younger, and my only sister ended up having the same symptoms later on that I first started having when she was around the same age. The doctors were trying to pawn it off on her as if it was just a painful period or something she was gonna have to deal with. We need to tell women it's okay to raise their voice if they don't feel they're being heard. While doctors do have the degrees, we know what is normal and not normal when it comes to our bodies. Also, just because your doctor has ovaries doesn't mean they are better at their job than someone who doesn't. All my doctors were women and they all told me the same thing until I ended up in the ER. Keep up the good work, ladies. Well, thanks, Heather, and here's wishing you good health. And I have a letter here from Meg, also about our endometriosis episode. She says, I'm 20 years old and have been suffering from chronic period pain and horrific PMS symptoms for the last 10 years. Ever since I got my first period at age 10, being on the pill for about nine years and trying to manage these symptoms. Like many young women, I was too embarrassed to talk to my doctor about just how bad it was until about five years ago, despite having been seen by a gynecologist for many years prior. I was only diagnosed by accident while having a laparoscopy. This was five years ago, and because of my age, the doctors were hesitant to operate on me for the endometriosis. We tried managing it with stronger doses of the pill and dietary changes. However, my symptoms got so bad that the specialist told me it was time to operate. This time last year, I had my surgery, and when I came to after my operation, my doctor informed me that it was far worse than he thought it would be. You are a 19-year-old woman with endometriosis, worse than I've seen in any of my 40-year-old patients, he said. I am now a year down the track and still managing these horrific symptoms with only the pill. In a few weeks, I'm going back to plead my case to be fitted with an IUD in the hopes that this will prevent any further damage and hopefully preserve what little chance I have left of being fertile. Well, thank you, Meg, for sharing your story. And I also wish you the best of luck with your health journey. And thanks to everybody who's written in. Momstuffdiscovery.com is where you can send your letters. You can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at Podcast. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You. And you'll want to be sure to start following us because Caroline and I will be posting photos of our Halloween costumes there. And of course, don't forget to head on over to YouTube and check out our channel. We're at youtube.com slash stuff mom never told you. And don't forget to subscribe. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 